This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, howdy, Bridgeway. It's great to see you here this morning. I'm Pastor Ron. I'll add my words of welcome. It's great to, uh, to be back together. Of course, last weekend, such a bummer getting rained out at our start of summer celebration. But as they say, you know, this absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I'm very excited to be here with you this morning. If you're new or visiting and you couldn't tell from that extremely dramatic video, we are in the book of Revelation, kind of diving headfirst into a really confusing and difficult book that I hope to bring some clarity to uh, this morning. So if you got a Bible, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 14. You can go ahead and find your way there. It's the easiest book in the Bible to find. It's the last one. Go all the way to the right, and chapter 14 is where we'll be. I also want to say uh, just a special uh, welcome to all of our dads this morning. If you haven't heard it yet this morning, happy Father's Day. It is so good to have you here. It's a privilege and an honor uh, from one dad to the next. I'm grateful for you choosing to be here this morning. I got to tell you too, dads, I've just been thinking of you this morning. You've been in my thoughts and in my prayers. I can just tell honestly uh, just how it feels in this day and age and how much we need fathers in the home. And not just biological fathers, but spiritual fathers. The Bible calls us to this spiritual leadership in our homes. So I've been praying for you, and, and I hope this morning you feel encouraged as a dad. Honestly, you couldn't have picked a better Sunday to come to church. Uh, today, our topic is Armageddon. <laughs> We're looking at the very last battle in the Bible. It's the final battle between good and evil. And as I said, we're diving headfirst. This is probably, maybe a little bit of a, a warning, this is probably the bloodiest, goriest, most violent part of the Bible. Because our subject today is war. And let me just be honest and admit that I think most or all of us are very naive when it comes to war. In fact, probably the closest we've ever come to it is what we experience on the big screen, movies. And there are some incredible movies that have captured some incredible epic war scenes. In fact, just a, a few of them that I thought of this week. One of my favorites, uh, Last of the Mohicans, and the cinematography in that movie, and the way in which um, that it's captured is just incredible. In fact, the, the ambush scene at the end where the uh, Native Americans kind of take their revenge, come pouring out uh, on the British soldiers. Incredible. Um, maybe not the most historically accurate, but by far the most stylized of movies is 300, where you've got this intermittent slow motion, kind of a first of its kind, and acrobatic, gymnastic, military sequences. Really incredible movie. And then uh, probably the one that really sets the standard for both the visceral experience as well as the probably the most historically accurate, is Saving Private Ryan. And by that, I mean the opening scene and the storming of the beaches on D-Day of Normandy. So visceral, in fact, that in a lot of reports that real veterans uh, have watched it and have been triggered by PTSD. It's so real and accurate. And I want to submit to you this morning, while our topic is war, I want to tell you that Armageddon, the final battle between good and evil, will be far more intense and more real than any of us could possibly imagine or Hollywood could even capture. In fact, all this week, if I'm just honest with you as your pastor, I found this part of the Bible to be a bit overwhelming. 
I mean, almost to the point where I, I felt like I was kind of like shrinking away from my responsibilities to read and study this part of the book. I found it to be too much, to be overwhelming. And if I'm honest, it's because this part of the Bible is real. It's dealing with real human lives and souls that hang in the balance of where they will spend eternity. So the big idea and the big question today to answer for every single person is basically when it comes to battle, you must pick a team. And the teams get set to where there is no middle ground. You either choose team good or team evil. You either choose team God or team Satan. There is no gray area when it comes to this last battle. There is no Switzerland. You must choose a team. And I'll tell you that I don't think I've ever heard a sermon from this part of the Bible in my childhood growing up. And I think part of the problem is the Armageddon, this last battle, is not just one scene. It's, in fact, several scenes, several visions that our writer, our author, John, receives. And it spans the course of about five chapters. I'll give you a little recap and I'll also set the stage for where this battle is going. If you were here a few weeks ago, uh, I introduced to you basically the demonic. I mentioned to you that there's this unholy trinity. There is the dragon, who is Satan. And Satan has his beasts. He has the Antichrist and the false prophet. And, and they're working in kind of the schemes that they know to twist and turn everything away from God. They're looking to capture all of the worship for themselves. And the crazy thing about the Bible is the Bible doesn't just tell us what happened. That's history. And the Bible, and especially Revelation, doesn't just tell us what's going to happen. That's prophecy. The Bible actually tells us what always happens. And so when we see the effect of evil and we see how God creates everything, everything God touches is pure and holy. And then the enemy does everything he can to twist that, to form a counterfeit to what God has created. If God is a trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then the enemy tries to create this unholy trinity to force the alliance and the worship towards him. And that happens not just in the end times, but I want to remind you it happens now. It happens every single day. We see counterfeits in our world around us. There are counterfeits in almost every area of our world. You look at the educational system, and there's counterfeits to what's being taught in the classrooms today. There are counterfeits when it comes to media, right? We don't call it a counterfeit, but it's spin, right? Do you trust the channel that gives you the news from the right or the channel that gives you the news from the left? We have this counterfeit in, in kind of the way in which uh, our law enforcement operates. I, I'm a back the blue kind of guy, right? Support our troops. And yet we see this counterfeit. We see these areas in our country, places in Portland and Seattle, where there's lawless zones that are established. There's counterfeits to the covenant of marriage. There's counterfeits to our gender and our identity. God creates us as binary, and we see the counterfeit of non-binary. We see on and on these examples, human trafficking and abortion, all distortions of what's pure and holy. Not only do you need to pick a team, but I want to tell you that you need to know your Bible. To live well, you need to know God's word. But to live wisely, you need to know not only God's word, but you need to know the direction that God's word is going. And that's where we see kind of the story take basically a finish line today. It's finishing with God dealing with good and evil once and for all. Direction 
is really important. Just a quick show of hands. Uh, how many of you would say you're really good with directions? Like you're really good with maps. You can kind of find your way anywhere. Very few hands going up. So the rest of you are like me. You're directionally challenged, right? Uh, I find that God kind of tends to pair um, directional people with directionally challenged people. I can say that because my wife, several grades above me in her ability, she's like Christopher Columbus. She's been there. She can find her way anywhere, and she's been there once. She can always find it. I'm the kind of guy, I need Google Maps. I need to open a paper map. I need someone sitting next to me, and there's still no guarantee that I won't get lost. I mean, I find my way home, but that's about the extent of it, right? And what I would fear the most is you come to this section of your Bible, these five chapters, super confusing, super technical, and you would miss that where these are going is they're going in the direction of God dealing with once and for all, all that is evil. Let me just kind of show you where Armageddon is kind of going. I'm just going to briefly outline uh, the next several chapters. In, cha in fact, we're going to read chapter 14. Chapter 15 starts with these seven plagues. And you read this, and it's almost reminiscent to what we see in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, in fact, it looks a lot like when Moses, God's front man, comes before another evil ruler, Pharaoh, and brings these plagues. You see that in chapter 15. Chapter 16 is God pouring out these seven bowls of wrath on Satan and his beasts and all those who follow him. This is where it gets really intense. This is where you see the people at that time have sores and the sea turns into blood. There's fire from the sun, darkness, rivers dry up. There's unclean spirits that look like frogs that are coming out of the earth. There's hundred-pound hailstones falling on people. Mountains are crumbling. The earth is quaking. You almost wonder if there's going to be anything left of planet earth by the end of this. Chapter 17 is the great prostitute riding the beast and her being defeated. Chapter 18 is the final battle of all the evil kings of the earth being uh, removed. All the evil leaders are being removed. It's overwhelming. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And what I want you to see this morning is how it all begins. You know where it's going. Let me just show you how it begins. And it begins in Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 1. This is again John, our author. He's receiving this vision and he says, then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 that had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Let me just pause there for a moment. Again, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we went to great lengths to try to understand the mark of the beast, 666. And now we see God showing up on the scene. This Lamb is Jesus. He stands up, and with him are those that are marked with, again, some mark on their foreheads, on they're, they're, his name is written on them. We see that this is what's true and what's holy. And this is all kind of taking place in what seems to be Mount Zion. Let me explain that. That's a really common word in Scripture. About 152 times Mount Zion gets referenced in the Old Testament. And it's basically Jerusalem. It's also known as the Holy City or David's City. Make no mistake that when it comes to this battle, it's happening in Mount Zion, which would be Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is easy to find on a map. In fact, you could pull out your phone right now and you could look up Jerusalem. It is where it's always been in Israel. In fact, uh, you could probably turn on the news later tonight or maybe this week and you'll probably hear something going on in that region. It's a region full of conflict. 
Uh, you have the Gaza Strip to the west of Israel. There's constant fighting over this very small piece of land. And then just to the north and east is the West Bank. And it's in that region that we're reading this vision takes place. This is God's city. And that's why we see these 144,000. I mentioned a few weeks ago, these are the remnant. These are the Israelites that have been saved through the tribulation. And they're coming to this final battle. Now, I say all that because this is really important. I hear a lot of people, especially Christians that live in America, think that Armageddon is going to happen here in the United States. Oftentimes, this comes up around election seasons, and people will say, oh, Armageddon is here. And you need to see, you need to see with very critical eyes that we don't know what happens to America, but this final battle will take place in Jerusalem. I'll share more on that in the Middle East in just a moment. But we see this lamb. This is Jesus. He stands. He's been seated at the right hand of God, and Jesus has seen enough. And so the battle begins picking back up in verse 6. You're going to be introduced to three angels. John says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea, and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, following, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength, into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now that's heavy, and that is a, a lot to unpack. In fact, I think this is the part where a lot of people who aren't Christians take issue with God's judgment. I don't like this very much, right? I mean, you read sulfur burning down from heaven, scorching people. And yet, I want you to see that as this battle starts, in God's mercy, there's actually one final call for, for, for salvation. Did you hear what that first angel says? That angel comes in and announces an eternal gospel to proclaim for all who dwell on the earth. You know, for all the criticism of God's judgment, I think it's only properly balanced by seeing God's mercy. And God, at the very start of this last battle, is again like a great father, right? And he wants no one to be spared in this battle. It's almost like maybe if you're a dad, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but you've, you've maybe told your kids, stop it. I'm going to tell you to stop it for the last time. Before I get to three, right? One, two. God is running to the very end of time, and his heart is for everyone to be saved. In fact, this whole idea of proclaiming this eternal gospel, the word proclaim is really unique in the New Testament. It only gets used a few times the word proclaim is the word evangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism from. In fact, at the very beginning of Jesus uh, coming into the world, we see that word get used by the angel Gabriel. Gabriel visits Mary and proclaims to her that she will be the bearer of God's son. It'll be good news, Mary. And then the same angel goes before the shepherds and says, Behold, I bring you good news. I proclaim to you. I evangelize to you that this Jesus will be born, this Messiah. 
And so we see the very beginning of Jesus starting as a proclamation for all to know him, evangelism. And now we see in the very last scene, the very final battle, a final call, a final proclamation. Now you might be wondering, well, what happens in between there? And if the angel gets the first note of evangelism, and then this angel gets the last note, who's supposed to do all the evangelizing in between? Well, you're looking at them. And I'm looking at them. See, we're all called to be those who bring this good news to the world. In fact, maybe another way to think about it is, is something I, I hear a lot. And it's kind of this question, you know, well, what if someone never hears about Jesus? And I always find this such an interesting argument against just sharing the good news with the people around us. And oftentimes this question is sort of like, it's meant to trap, right? It's, it's meant to be like, well, what if there's someone that never hears about Jesus? You know, they're, they live in the bush, they, they're in some, you know, tribe in Africa somewhere, and I don't know, we always seem to be so concerned about these people that we don't know, and yet the question is, well, what about the people that you do know? I mean, what about the people that you do know in your neighborhood and in your work setting, in your family? I think a lot of times this question just is sort of this excuse. It's just kind of punting on a lack of obedience. Because we see in the final days there will be one last opportunity. Verse 7 is the gospel. The angel says, fear God and give him glory. In other words, pick team God. Worship him. And if this sounds exclusive, and if this sounds like I'm trying to convert you, you're right. This is what matters, knowing these words of fearing God and worshiping him. In fact, I think we can do this not only here, but especially outside of these doors. Uh, our heart at Bridgeway is that no one would wait till the last moment. In fact, I would tell you, uh, get yourself saved now. Don't wait. Don't even mess with it. Become saved now. In fact, our heart for evangelism runs deep, and we believe that this is the exclusive pathway to God. It's only through Jesus. Jesus would share things about how it's a narrow door, and Jesus would share that I am the way. There's no other way. I am the way and the truth and the life, verses like John 14, verse 6. In fact, evangelism is such a part of Bridgeway, it actually, it's embedded right into our name. In fact, the name Bridgeway comes from Scripture, from 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, where it says, and there is one mediator between God and man. That man is Jesus Christ. That word mediator can be translated as the word bridge. We believe that there's only one bridge between God and man, and that is Jesus. And so we have this responsibility to cooperate with God and to share the good news as 1 Peter says, always be prepared to share a reason for the hope that you have with every person you meet. Some could push back and say, well, I'll just, I'll just let them be, and in the end, they'll hear about God. And I think that would be missing the incredible opportunity for a life with God all the way through. In fact, a few weeks ago, I, I was traveling, and I just love to hear people's story. I, I love to hear how they come to faith, and especially how they find their way into church. And especially if they're younger, that just really interests me because uh, we hear so many reports about, you know, the church kind of missing it on the younger generation. And, and I was traveling and I was on the West Coast in California and decided to go to a church I'd never been to out there. And I ended up, because I told you I'm directionally challenged, I ended up at the wrong church. 
I was going for this really large church, and I ended up in a really, really small church. In fact, there were 20 people in the church, uh, including my wife and I. We were like 10% of the population in attendance that morning. And it was so exciting because everyone was there. You could tell they wanted to be there. Their, their hearts were just so tuned in. Everyone was kind of uh, sharing and different people coming up to the stage. And, and in fact, one guy kind of caught my attention. He gave the announcements like Justin did this morning. And it was just an amazing, amazing service. Afterwards, since we kind of stood out, people came up to us and, and talked to us. And the same guy that did the announcements that morning came up. And I, I just said, well, how did you get connected with this church? And his name was Herb. And he told me that, he started coming not that long ago and didn't even really want to come to church. He just felt like that morning he needed to go, and he parked his car and walked up to the church, and when he got to the door, he couldn't go in. He, like, he said, the door was too heavy. I just couldn't go in the church. And I went back to my car intending to go home, and, and that day, someone in the parking lot who was helping kind of you know, park cars that morning was a part of the church and said, hey, where are you going? And Herb said, ah, it's not for me. I'm, I'm going home. And this parking attendant from the church said, no, no, I'll, I'll go in with you. And he ended up coming inside and having a cup of coffee with him. And that day, Herb tells me, he, he gave his life to Jesus. And he came back the next week, and they had a baptism service, and Herb got baptized. And at the baptism service afterwards, he was eating a hot dog, and he met this young woman who later became his wife. Do you think some things changed? All because a parking attendant said, hey... I'll come in the church with you. You see, it really matters, not just at the end, but the quality of our life with God in every moment. It matters how you spend your time, how you reach out, and how you evangelize to others. If not, the consequence is what we see in verse 8. We see this uh, kind of trajectory of how it's going. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Kind of two things from this verse. First of all, if you chose Team Jesus, Team Jerusalem, Team Mount Zion, great choice. If you chose Team Babylon, not so lucky, it falls. And Babylon, we see, has kind of become this, this final great collection. It's this one world order. It's this one world religion. In fact, uh, you kind of get the personification of kind of this sexual immorality. It's been seduced. All of Babylon has been kind of captured in this seduction. In fact, sexual immorality is the word porneia. It refers to all forms of sexual immorality. And it's the final version of evil. And there it is. Babylon is another word that's referred to many times in Scripture. About 280 times uh, we hear about Babylon, Babylon, this mighty nation. In fact, you can go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 10, chapter 11, kind of lay out the beginnings of Babel. Uh, it started with a guy by the name of Nimrod. If you're looking for baby names, probably not the best name. Uh, he's the founder of Babylon and and the people in Babylon decided to build a tower up to God. Let's go up. Let's show how great we are. And God comes down and says, that's not how you get to me. And confuses the world for the very first time with the introduction of languages. They become babblers. This nation of Babylon continues and it, it picks up steam. And, and you can read through Daniel and Ezekiel. It over, is overcome by Assyria and then eventually by Rome. But somehow in this final battle, Babylon comes back. And you can look on a map today as well, and you'll find Babylon is in modern-day Iraq. And so again, just so you're 
really abundantly clear with this, Armageddon will not take place in America. It will take place on the plain between Jerusalem and Iraq, modern-day Iraq. Um, this is how it ends. I wanted to show you just one last thing and show you this thread of encouragement that makes its way through this story and from this angel, picking back up in verse 12. The angel says, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. <laughs> Blessed are the dead. Again, kind of an odd way to end the message. But this is actually hope. Those that die in the Lord before he returns, you're sealed. You have assurance. And for some of you today, you should be encouraged in how God operates on Team Jesus. And for those of you who aren't yet, I want to implore you, I want to plea with you this morning to pick this team. I'll tell you this morning, for the believer, this life is as close to hell as you'll ever get. And for the unbeliever, this life is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. And so this is a call for endurance. The battle calls for endurance. And that's my call and my plea with you as well this morning, to keep the commandments of God, to follow him. The reality of Armageddon, the war, is that it's long and it calls us to this time and this place for all of us to endure in our faith. And that leads us into a time of communion. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and they're going to lead us in a time of reflection. I know this morning is a, is a heavy message and as I've said before, the Bible is a bloody book. This is by far the bloodiest section of it. And the end times are not pretty, but I want to tell you about one other, one other blood. And that's the blood that can save you, and it's the blood of Jesus. When you come to the cross, you realize that you are more sinful than you may ever know, but you are more loved than you would ever believe. All possible because of what God does through sending his son Jesus to save us from our sins. I want to give you an opportunity just to reflect on that truth this morning, and we're going to celebrate communion as a community. If you haven't had communion with us here at Bridgeway, um, the instructions are quite simple. We have two tables set up in the front of the room, and there are two tables set up in the back of the room. On the tables contain the elements. They are prepackaged. And as Blake and the team lead us here in a few moments, I want you just to take some time and reflect on this battle and uh, on your life and your soul and the team that you pick. And then when you're ready, you can come to the tables and you can take the elements back to your seat and you can take them whenever you're ready. They contain the bread and the juice, which symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus that has been broken and shed for you. After you've taken the elements, we would invite you to sing and to worship our one true God. If you would bow your heads and pray with me, please. God, this morning, I just think of how this battle plays out. And I think of how there can be pain and suffering in our world. And, and the new day is coming, Lord. And so, God, I would just pray as this text invites us to, to have a call for endurance. An endurance of the saints. It's good news this morning that you look down upon us, those that follow you. And you don't call us sinner. You call us saints. A priesthood, a royal priesthood of holy believers. And so, God, I thank you for your church. And, God, very simply, I want to invite anyone within the sound of my voice that hasn't 
received your son Jesus, hasn't lived in the grace and the mercy and the direction of your Holy Spirit, that they can do so now by just simply admitting, Jesus, I give you my life, that I need this redemption from all the sin and all the mistakes and all my errors and all my wrongs, and I give you my life. If that's you this morning, then you are part of God's family if you receive him and you are welcome to these tables. God, we thank you for your truth, and we're going to sing to you now out of hearts that are full of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.